Thank you for checking out the Detroit Church Podcast. We are a growing community in the heart of the city, and we exist to awaken Detroit to the greatest adventure of all time. We look forward to sharing this journey as God is making all things new. Hi, I'm Fonz, one of the pastors here at Detroit Church. And I got a question for you. Are you hungry? No, really. Are you hungry? And not just physical hungry, not just hungry for a big steak, or if you're vegan, a great salad, if they make those. Are you actually hungry? Like, is there something you don't have that you realize you need, something you're longing for, something that your soul is craving? Well, uh, it's been said that if you wanted to pull on the string to destroy the tapestry of marital peace for an evening, you would simply ask the question, hey babe, what do you want to eat tonight? <laughs> Seems a bit funny, but the truth is, that is because, well, some of it's because, some of it is because our significant others are great, but the other part is because while our bodies tell us we're hungry, they don't tell us how to solve or how to resolve our hunger. So, they let us know we need food, they let us know that we're craving something, but they don't tell us what to do to satisfy that craving. Well, this is where we start today's text from. It's the people of God have had an incredible miracle done for them, and while they've received this miracle bread, this, this sign from God, most of the effect is just felt in their bellies. The next day they get up and they see no Jesus, they see no disciples, and they are like, hey, what happened to everybody? They find these ships that, because there was a crazy storm the night before, there are now ships docked from Tiberias, and now they find their way on these ships and they go to the other side of the sea to find Jesus, and they find him in Capernaum, and when they find him there, they are immediately met with this strong, still graceful, but very real conversation. This discourse that Jesus has when he knows the real reason that they found him. Let's dig in. So Jesus tells his disciples in verse 26, he says, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate the field of the loaves. The truth is that they hopped in the ships, went to the other side of the sea, not because of the sign of feeding the 5,000, which we know is actually probably more like 20,000. It wasn't because of that. It was because they had their bellies full of this miracle bread. And the truth is they now believe that they have found their genie, <coughs> I'm sorry, their king, the one that's gonna literally end their Roman oppression. And he is gonna set them in the spot they believe they've always been destined for. So Jesus, as he's talking to them, he tells them, don't labor for bread that perishes. He says, labor for bread that endures into eternity. And this is incredible because they've done all of this work. They got on boats, they paid money, I'm sure, to some degree, right? They went up all of this effort they have pushed out just so they can get to their genie, their king, the one that makes all of their dreams come true, not knowing Jesus is never ever been just about our tangible natural material only he's here so that we can experience real bread real eternal life so jesus tells them that it's not about laboring for bread 
that actually does nothing for your eternal life. And when he says this, they do what we do, right? The first uh, inclination is for them to earn it, for them to use their own hands, for them to have some sort of role in it. So when he says, don't labor for that, labor for something that actually meets your eternal needs, the first thing they say is, well, tell us what to do. And what is it that we need to do to, to satisfy the works that God's requiring? And Jesus crushes their dreams in a sense. He tells them all that is required, the only work that God requires is that they believe in the one whom he has sent. They're like, well, well come again, Jesus. Uh, maybe you didn't hear the question. Maybe we should ask it a different way because we're asking what we need to do. See, you need to understand that these Jews, they know what it means to obey the law. They will reach high. They will outrun anyone, outdo anyone. They love the feeling of accomplishing or performing. So when they say, hey, Jesus, what do we need to do? And all he says is believe. It immediately confronts the part of us that loves to try and have a hand in the way uh, we live or are delivered. The part of us that wants to kind of keep one hand on the wheel just in case you need to. So what Jesus is actually trying to get them to understand is that they cannot work themselves into this bread that he's speaking of. He is trying to get them to understand that the real satisfaction of our souls is not something that we can work ourselves into. It's not something that we can earn or that we can do enough for. It is only something that we receive through our belief in who Jesus is. So Jesus then says, after he explains to them that they need to believe instead of trying to work for it. Of course, the next thing they say is, well, show me something. Do something, Jesus. Give us a sign and then we will believe you. Isn't this interesting? They just saw Jesus feed almost 20,000 people and now they're here asking for a sign. Do something, Jesus. Show me what you got and then we will give you our faith. And in this moment, it lays bare a couple of things. First, uh, it, it reveals to us that we do not know what we want. It explains to us that the very thing we need somehow eludes us. I'll use me for an example. Uh, I have a beautiful seven-month-old baby boy. And all of his life, seven months, including those nine months he was in the womb, actually eight because he came a little early, that entire time his father, me, had these big all-I-want moments for God. For example, when I found out she was pregnant, all I wanted to do was feel him in the womb, feel him poking and kicking and some sort of response. I felt it. And then all I wanted was to see his face. Turned out, didn't disappoint at all. Face is great. And then after I saw his face, all I wanted him to do is smile. And then I saw him smiling. All I wanted was to hear him laugh. And now I've heard him laugh. And all I want now is to hear him say my name running towards me running to get a hug from daddy i cannot wait i literally dream about it and all it reveals is for me i actually don't know what i want <laughs> because every time i have an all i want it gets met and then guess what i produce a new all i want 
it means that as much as I want these things, as much as when they happen, I'm incredibly impacted. It also means ultimately, I don't know what will really satisfy me. I want what I think will satisfy me, but when I get it, there's some part of me that's still not fulfilled and seeking for a new goal, a new ask, a hunger for something else. This proves the first point, that we do not know what we want. The second point is this, not only do we not know what we want, we don't know what to want. This is proved by the fact that we ask for things that actually won't satisfy us. Even Jesus in this conversation, he's trying to help them understand what it is they really want. He's telling them that, hey, what you think you want, all of this prestige and, and this to be this elite among society, like you think these things will do it. The truth is they won't. Ask anyone that's ever gotten the job you want or ever moved into the neighborhood you want. They'll tell you that even after doing it, there's still this part of us that is unsatisfied. There is still this longing for more. And the truth is, until we connect with Jesus, until we eat the bread that actually fills us in our souls, we keep grasping for the job or for the relationship or for the prestige, for the accolades, for the respect, for others to speak highly of us. We'll keep trying to get in marriages, trying to get relationships. We'll have kids all thinking that that will solve this gaping hole and the truth is nothing will because it is a God-sized hole that only he can fit and only he can fill. The Jews in this moment when they ask Jesus for a sign of course point back to Moses. It's very clear that they hold Moses in very high esteem. So much so that it seems as if they're trying to emulate Moses. They want to be like Moses. They even like Jesus because he reminds them of Moses. This is why they ask and say, hey, uh, Jesus, give us a sign. Matter of fact, Moses, uh, he gave us manna in the wilderness. And this is talking about their forefathers. And they say, uh, it's written. Now, this is like quoting a scripture. They're calling Jesus to the carpet. It's written that Moses gave them manna from heaven. To which Jesus responds and says, Moses didn't give them manna from heaven. God gave them manna from heaven. And God is now giving them bread sent from him to them. This is how Jesus even begins to explain to them that ultimately he is the bread of life. I don't know about you, but I can find a lot of comfort in the fact that I can't work my way into this bread. I can't earn this bread. It's nothing I can do. And yes, that does feel a little bit uh, debilitating. However, the truth is, even though we can't earn it, we can receive what he has done in our stead. We can receive the works of Jesus because they testify to the truth that God gives bread to the hungry, that he's always been about actual satisfaction, actual fulfillment. He is not just a guy who likes to flex up. We see this even in the way Jesus performs these miracles. If these miracles were just about some show of power, he could have done something bigger. He could have done something better, right? If it was just about showing how great he is, then Jesus could have done something, I don't know, like make tacos for the first time. Here you go, everybody. Experience the goodness that is clearly tacos, right? He doesn't do that. He actually does a miracle that does 
doesn't break the natural order, it restores the natural order. He feeds the hungry. He serves those who aren't being served. This is Jesus going over and above to prove to us that he is the bread from heaven. And this is the bread that gives life to those who eat it. This is the bread that if we'll receive it, it will change everything about this life. In verse 35, the Bible says this, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This clearly states that Jesus is actually the bread of life. Jesus doesn't point us to someone who can get us through. He doesn't say, hey, I know how to get to the bread. He tells them point blank, flat out, I am the bread of life. Feast on me. And when he says this, he is not just saying cannibalistic terms. He's actually saying, take me in. Take the truth of who I am. Pull it into your life. Pull it into how you live your days, how you relate to your spouses, how you initiate relationships, not looking to be filled from them, but initiating them because you have been filled by me. It's incredible how easy it is for us to desire things that ultimately are not Jesus. That's what gets us in trouble. We want things that seem greater, that seem dynamic, or that seem like they'll have a positive effect. And I can even admit to you that I've had prayers and journals and, and sticky notes, and all of these things, asking God for stuff that ultimately isn't found in Jesus. And the problem with that is none of that stuff will ever satisfy me. Only the bread that God gives us through Jesus is life for all of us. The truth is that God doesn't just give us the desires of our hearts. He regenerates our hearts. He quickens our hearts. He makes our hearts alive. And then he gives us the, the desires of our new hearts. He gives us access to the fulfillment of the craving and the longings that we have. Because the truth is, what we long is not stuff. It's not things. We are craving to live. And this is what the bread of life does for us. The truth is, our souls are craving to be made alive. This is what the bread of life offers us. This is what Jesus, in the fulfillment of his work and mission on earth, this is what he brings. He causes an awakening to happen where we realize not just that we're hungry or that we're longing, but we come to know how true satisfaction can exist in the hearts and the souls and the minds of humanity. Let's keep going. In verse 44, the Bible says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. 
Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So this is the connection that Jesus makes that his bread, his his body is actually his bread it's his flesh that his body will be broken in the same way we break bread he will give his own flesh and blood for the sins of the world this is jesus pointing to calvary this is jesus literally describing his purpose that he came here to die he came here to give his very own life so that we might be able to live so that we would have the opportunity to feast on his life and the truth is all life requires a death it requires something that we in and of ourselves cannot offer. And that is what Jesus, the bread of life, he gives us. He breaks his life, his flesh. He offers it up so that we can understand, so that we get to know what it's like for us to have true, fulfilled life. Faith is not a one-time event that covers all other situations for the future. It's actually an ongoing trust that we have that literally transforms the way we live, even the way we conduct ourselves. We are forever changed by our belief and our hope in Jesus as our sacrifice. What is holy, fully, once and for all done. We never need another sacrifice. We never need another Jesus. We never need another covenant. You don't need anything else. Jesus is the bread that was broken for me and for you. Eating and drinking the Son of Man is a vivid way of presenting the truth that in order to have eternal life, people must take Christ into their inner being. This is not just uh, a hyperbole, uh, but it does represent this truth that we have taken in the truth of Jesus. We've made it a part of who we are. In the same way that we eat food for our natural bodies, Jesus is food for the soul. His finished work of Calvary, the gospel, the good news that someone else has done the work, someone else has provided a sacrifice for what sin requires, which is a death. And someone else has paid this so that you and I might have access to what actually satisfies the human soul. In the same way that bread nourishes us, gives us sustenance, gives us life. Jesus is food for the soul. He's bread for our everlasting souls. However, bread that you look at doesn't do you any good. Bread that you know about intellectually but don't actually eat and take in doesn't help you. The truth is, is that we can know the truth about Jesus and still not receive the benefit, still not receive the fullness of the life that he has for us because it stays up here and it never gets into us. We have to do what the bread, what Jesus did, which is break it and actually eat it. As Jesus has this discourse with his would-be disciples, 
these Jews are struggling with what he's saying. When he starts to talk about them eating his flesh and drinking his blood, of course there are some that over-exaggerate and that take it to be some sort of cannibalistic idea. But the truth is, it's a hard saying. And not just hard to understand, it's hard to accept. Because we are so programmed, we're so wired to go after what we want, to, to, to try to fight for the things that we think will satisfy us, to go after our inner longings and cravings. And in some cases, desperately, violently, uh, we'll, we'll cheat, we'll steal, we'll put ourselves above other people just so that we can try to satisfy our souls. And the truth is that is the lower nature. That is what Jesus has come to release us from. And unfortunately, they hear this message and they decide, to turn they decide they will walk with him no more Jesus after making a very heartfelt uh, expression trying to raise their appetites just above the things of the natural trying to get them to see spirit because he speaks to them in spirit and life but they are steady stuck on the, the the natural just the food that we eat just the things that will satisfy us here and now his disciples walk away and then Jesus looks at the 12 disciples specifically and said, will you leave too? Peter then speaks up and he says something incredible. In verse 67, the Bible says this. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the essence of worship. Maybe it doesn't seem like it. It's not a, a, a Hillsong song, right? There's no music going and you can't hear melody, but this is the essence of what worship really is. What worship really is, when it, you boil it down, it's ascribing value, ascribing honor and worthiness and glory. And that's what Peter is doing in this moment. He speaks up for the 12 and say, to who would we go? Who else could we follow? Who else could we walk with? Jesus, you and you alone are the Holy One of God. This word holy is a a special word only really to be used for God one meaning set apart or far and away different from us consecrated it's a very special word that really should only be used of God and this is what Peter says in other words while they have turned because they weren't here for you ultimately we are only here for you Jesus it's not the stuff you give us it's not the bread it's not the miracles it's not the signs the bread is cool let's eat some more but ultimately this is not what we live for. Momentary, temporary satisfaction is not what we're after. We are here for Jesus. We exist for Jesus the Christ. This is why we live. This is why we have our being. This is ultimately the story that wraps up and that grabs every other narrative. It's the story of how Jesus makes all things new. Jesus, after he has this beautiful moment with Peter, he literally says, have I not chosen you? And one of you is a devil. He is speaking parenthetically of Judas Iscariot, the one who would betray him. 
And this seems like a weird way to end this passage, a weird way to end or to conclude this particular message or story. But I think we can find great hope in it because what it means ultimately is that God is not just uh, with or a friend to those that do it right, those that say it right, those that are good or are right. He is actually still walking with those whose hearts have wandered, those who aren't perfect, those who still have doubt within them. Jesus doesn't cast them aside. Jesus doesn't get rid of them. Jesus actually calls a Judas to still be a part of the 12. He loves him. He serves him as if he's all good, knowing full well the position of his heart. This proves to us that Jesus is not uh, just some uh, a hierarchical being that operates on this you do for me, I do for you kind of scale as many religions would postulate. This shows us that Jesus ultimately understands sacrifice. He understands what it's like to suffer. How many of us would lovingly serve someone who we know will betray us? How many of us would lay our lives down for those who would just as soon reject and not believe us? Jesus proves that he actually is bread broken and he's broken every time you or I choose to not believe him. Every time you or I choose to try to do it on our own, choose to try to desire a lesser thing and put a lesser thing in his spot. It's sad to admit, but some of us have even imagined a heaven with no Jesus. We've imagined the perfect set of circumstances that we could thrive in, that we would prosper, that we would do well in. And the truth is, it has nothing to do with Jesus. Ask yourself, are the things that you're craving, the things that you want, are they found in Jesus? Or are they things that one could get on their own with more discipline, with more study, more money? If they are natural, if they are things that you can provide yourself, then ultimately he has not yet broken through to your heart to reveal the truth that only he can satisfy, only he can fulfill, and that only the bread that we eat can give us eternal life. And this is who Jesus is for us. He is eternal life. So whether you have been saved all your life, whether you've been a part of this journey for years and years, or even if you are still trying to figure out how you feel about Jesus, he invites us to come to the table. He invites us to sit and to receive him, his broken body as bread for us. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that God would disrupt my temporary table to give me eternal satisfaction because he loves me that much. So. If you've never said it, you can say the prayer right here, right now. You can be welcomed into the family of faith. You can repeat after me and say, Jesus, I acknowledge that I can't do enough. I acknowledge that there's nothing I could do to save myself, but I can receive what you've done for me. I can understand and ingest, just like this bread, I can make a part of me your truth that you have been broken, that you've died, that you've shed your blood for my sin, and because of you, I get access to the family of faith. I get access to God as Father and all things have become new. If you've said that, if you have made that declaration, would you please uh, reach out, send us a note in the comments, send us an email, fill out the form. We would love to get to know you. Our hope is that all of us, those near and those far, will come to see the greatness, the beauty, the satisfaction of Jesus the Christ. God bless you guys. 
Thanks for listening to the Detroit Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, like, and rate. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for Detroit Church.